0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the New Book Network podcast. I'm Deidre Tyler, host of the channel. Today, we'll be talking with Cynthia Parker Anoe, author of the book Daughters of Harriet. How are you doing today? Great. How are you? Great. I wonder if you could begin by saying a few words about yourself and how you became interested in this project.
1: So in my work life, I'm a therapist, and I've been working in the nonprofit community for many years, And but I've always wanted to be a writer. I've always written, and so I decided uh, back in the arts that I was going to apply to an MFA program so that I could further my writing skills and and be able to produce uh, a book. And so I completed the MFA program and that began my trajectory on, or yeah, on the road to to writing. And so I became interested in in doing this book based on uh, my childhood narratives and just the general um, day-to-day issues surrounding Black women. How did you decide
0: on the title, Daughters of Harriet?
1: So uh, when I was in the MFA program, my thesis director, my mentor, and also my friend now, uh, Brenda Hillman, suggested that I should use the title of the poem in my book, Daughters of Harriet. I initially had a different title for the book, or marked Black Body, which is also a poem in the book, but it seems as though that Daughters of Harriet got across better the what I was trying to get people to feel in the book, the History of Black Women in America um from slavery to the present, and so Harriet Tubman who is my my hero, uh, is the reason why that I wrote the poem Daughters of Harriet, and I wanted to make the book representative of what Harriet was trying to do as an abolitionist.
0: Can you tell the audience about the girl back in Kilmarnock?
1: So, um, Girl Black in Kilmarnock is a childhood narrative my my narrative of about summers in Kilmarnock where my mother was born and raised in Virginia and what it was like being with my my grandmother and uh, my great-grandmother in in Virginia and what life was like for them through the Black experience, living on a farm. Um, And also the Kilmarnock, the house that uh, my mother was born in and and where I would go during the summers is like my family's ancestral home. So you will see that I talk about Kilmarnock a lot uh, throughout the book.
0: Can you read my favorite poem, My Mother the Lunch Lady?
1: Sure. My Mother the Lunch Lady. Each day at 8 a.m., my mother the lunch lady works the assembly line of newly made meals, each a stamp of mass, scratched from the unlimited land of heather and sunflower risings. She reaches home at three after a day of patriarchy, whose offspring depend on her to be coddled, each her presumed favorite, a maid at school, her face erased from her colored, marked body universally misseen, misnamed. After school, I watch her in her bedroom, removing her school clothes, collecting her uniforms for the wash, her handkerchief shaped like a doily on her uniform's lapel with the name Dot inside. I don't know her as this woman, a black woman whose birth is tied up in her labor. She labors for the small coins to use her black body as surrogate for elevated white women who insist she nourish what whiteness has wrought, manage their childish fears. Miss Anne said, be hattie. Be the win, be Mammy for eight hours while they are in preparation for future domination. They have the power my mother could not imagine. At home, Dot is taking what is not really quiet time, but in the slimmest of single moments within the enclosing generational chasm of servitude and place in these moments she belongs to no one she says it is her nerves she needs to fight for her life in a life where she is owned by the state her husband her daughters the church the community who say That she is the very nice lady with a smile who exists to serve lunch at this unintegrated school. The lunch lady with cancer, cancer that silenced sank her until she retreated with her voice. The labor, the black female body she couldn't corral but succumbed when home meant gone. Thank you. The Oppression
0: Table, Genesis. Can you read that poem for us? And what were your thoughts after writing this poem?
1: Sure. The Oppression Table's Genesis. Black is not the desired color of women, Black is too loud. It needs a touch of something to mute her boisterous nature. Black is not the desired color for women. Bible is black. Bible is not monogamous. But Bible wants her to love him only. And Bible will only promise love at gunpoint. So this is a poem that um, I wrote in response to how religion is used uh, in in oppression, in structural oppression, and how uh, black folks and black women in particular are used the church as a way to cope with the day-to-day issues of subjugation and exploitation. Um, and also, religion, black people were seen as not being um, religious and that they needed to be provided with or forced into accepting Christianity as a as a way of civilizing uh, a black person who was considered a savage, and so I wanted to talk about how, as black women, even though we're not any of the speakers in the Bible, we are we figure prominently in the black church, even though we're generally not the minister but we maintain and we keep the black church going. And I wanted to show how through using religion at gunpoint is a way to explain some of the, the oppressions that black women face in the church and how the church affects how one is perceived in in society.
0: Another favorite poem, Greyhound Bus Station, 1950. Please read this to the
1: audience. Yes, Greyhound Bus Station, 1950. And this is a true story about my mother, who, when she left Kilmarnock, Virginia, went north, of course, and this was a job she had at 19 in the the Greyhound bus station. B. The gift shop sales clerk wore the scent of Virginia on her feet. She walked hard, like farmhands do, but she was beginning to understand northern Habituals, going to beauty shops, buying greens at Food Barn, dropping her aras. But Jim Crow wouldn't leave her alone. He kept showing up when she tried on sassy chartreuse hats with nine-inch feathers bowed around the brim for Wednesday, five o'clock service at Enon Baptist. Lucky Brown Cosmetics. Red Savoy pumps at Florine's. The May Company's policy did not allow grease stains on the merchandise. So she stepped over to Sapphire's Brim's wee-crown colored heads. At the station, she left the change for white customers on the counter. black skin beaches. Yet, Her pride was in the display, travels with white aunts, seeing New York City on a dollar a day. But she knew her station arrived here at 19 to attend a colored school for colored women. The station master Mm -hmm. felt a colored sales clerk would better serve their customers as a domestic In the back, like her ride up south.
0: Beautiful. What's behind that?
1: So, my mother used to always talk about how when she left the south and, and she had come to the north to attend college and she got a job at the Greyhound bus station so that she could um, have some money to live off of as a college student. And when she worked, went to work at the Greyhound bus station as a sales clerk, a lot of the white customers complained about a black woman being visible um, out front for everyone to see, um, providing uh, uh, services for the public. And they felt as though, you know, why isn't she a domestic? Why isn't she cleaning the Greyhound? Why is she working as a sales clerk? And so I I wrote about that because, um, and that was a story I'll always get her to tell me over and over again because... I thought that yeah, this is this is a part of our history. This is a part of being a Harriet.
0: Thank you. Colored hats. Please read that story. Sure.
1: Okay. Colored hats. A type of mirror discriminates. Behind absence stumbles the power. Conflicts jerk black room before spoiled milk. Black room conforms. Toes the line next to the old truth. How does the black room perceive an item? Why can't black room shove the living mercury? Black rooms without closures listen moral. A dogma sickens underneath. Black room Cues outside its box barrels a tunnel a policeman explodes the heart smells through any bay, burnt air guides a groan. How does black room pale with the poetic sunrise? Black room revolts against the eagle.
0: Tell us about what's behind that poem.
1: So um there's a book by Gertrude Stein called Tender Buttons, and she uses a lot of inanimate objects to explain how she perceives the world and she assigns meanings to these inanimate objects. And I decided to use that format and describe uh how black folks are, again, deal with oppression and subjugation. So, for example, when I say a type of mirror discriminates, what I'm saying is that it's a reflection of the cruel systemic oppression since the invasion and pillaging of Africa that is the foundation of this nation. Behind the absence of humanity is the world power, America. Behind this absence of Black humanity is the entitlement to my life, to Black life, to be owned, legislated, as three-fifths human, as property tax for slave owners. In the poor and Black rooms represent Black folks. Living mercury is effective as an active ingredient in skin whitening. A compound used to depigment skin. How does it pale with the poetic sunrise black blackness doesn't pale. It colors everything. And when I end with uh the black room revolts against the eagle. I'm talking about resistance to uh, oppression in the U.S.
0: You also wrote a poem, Negro Buys a House. Can I get you to read this one?
1: Negro Buy a House. The Collective Whisper began on April 2nd 1965 and the 1400 east independence avenue on the truck a family of four transporting housewares various and sundry negrabilia along with heavy chintz furniture with knotted plastic coverings the collective neighbors Catacorner to shaded windows, elongated green telephone cords on rotary phones, signaling to their neighbors that what they had overheard, excuse me, what they had overheard at the local wars was indeed true. Each neighbor waited with the newest of Negro detectors. These Negroes had mobbed into Montgomery Heights like swarms of roaches, bred 2,000 at a time in secret colonies. One neighbor even swore that she saw the heads of the Polk family over on America Crossroads in the eddy of a fiery cauldron for sale signs. Flat furiously, atop newly dug sod, By noon, a transformation had occurred. The family toting Britannica encyclopedias, a red and white mica table set, and 1959 blue Chevy was officially a ghetto.
0: Tell us the significance of that poem.
1: So this is a poem um, that... um, I kind of use humor to get across. So, like back in, I would say probably going back as far as you can go back once black people were free, that once a black family moves into a neighborhood, overnight that neighborhood is transformed. And there may have been, um, white families living in that neighborhood, but once the first black family moves into the neighborhood, it transforms, and now it's become known as uh, the black community, and black, folk, black folks are seen as bringing down property values, which impacts uh, community schools. So it's really a fear of, what is known as of the fear of a black hat. Once you have one come in, Meaning that 2000, 2,000 roaches, you know, there are going to be 2,000 more Black families to come in, into that community and take it over.
0: And what are the messages that you want to leave the reader with after reading this great book, Daughters of Harriet?
1: You know, the thing that I want most when people read this book is to feel. I want folks to feel what I'm trying to get across um, because I'm I'm interrogating the psyche and emotions of an oppressed people that continue today And, and, and the roads that Black folks have to walk just to try to get uh, freedom, to even be perceived as human. And so I wrote this with hopes that folks could feel or have feelings or some type of feeling about what it's like through the Black experience in America. Well, I've
0: taken up a lot of your time. What is the next project you'll be working on?
1: Oh, okay. Actually, I'm working on fiction. Um, And I'm also working on another poetry book. So, yeah, I'm trying to put those two things together. And hopefully, I might have something to, to put out there in a year or so. Well, we'll be looking
0: forward to that new project
1: thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you, Deirdre, for having me. I so appreciate you.